Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast, a podcast featuring interviews with equestrian authors who love all things horses and writing about them. In each episode, you'll hear inspirational stories from horse book authors, including writing advice and marketing tips to help you write your very own horse book. If you're an author, aspire to be an author, or simply love horse books, then you are in the right place. I'm your host, Carly Cade, and creative writing makes my spurs jingle. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Show. Today, I am so excited to have my friend and fellow author, Susan Friedland, on. Susan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Carly. It's so good to see you. I missed seeing you earlier this year. I know we've gotten to know each other a little bit uh, through our mutual membership in American Horse Publications. So I know that's where we first first met, and uh, you know I've been following your your very popular equestrian blog, Settle Six Horse, for a very long time before I ever wrote any of my books. And I was so excited to meet you in person there. And from there, the friendship just budded, and we keep meeting and hanging and going to conferences together and supporting each other's work. And it's just been such a lovely partnership. That is really cool. <laughs> yeah, you were, uh, you know, I like followed you way before I ever got involved in, in that, you know, blogging equestrian lifestyle stuff myself. So you were an inspiration. <laughs> so before we get into the fun part, which is the interview, I am going to read your bio for folks that are listening in so they know a little bit about your background. Middle school history teacher by day and horse girl 24-7, Susan Friedland shares an authentic look at equestrian life on the award-winning blog Saddle Seeks Horse. Topics ranging from equine ulcers to how to break in riding boots the easy way to understanding your horse's kissing spine, along with horse-related book reviews, are the foundation of Susan's website, which has been in the blogosphere since 2013. Susan, a displaced Midwesterner now living in LA, is owned by a cuddly Doberman and a tall, dark, and handsome thoroughbred gelding who just made his debut as a fox hunter. Susan's memoir, Horses Adored and Men Endured, a memoir of falling and getting back up, is rated a five-star read on Amazon and has garnered praise from publications Untacked, Horse and Style, and fellow authors Jean Abernethy and Carly Cade. Yay, I got kudos. <laughs> Trot along with Susan and her off-the-track thoroughbred night on Instagram at Saddleseeks Horse or visit saddleseekshorse.com, which also we'll get into a little later and I'll link to in the show notes. You know, I wanted to uh, ask you, actually, I don't know if I know this about you yet. How did your love affair with horses begin? It all happened a long time ago. Um, I grew up just a total animal lover. And sadly, my parents were not animal lovers to the degree that I am and that I was. So uh, my mom is from a farming family, dairy farmers in Illinois. And um, that kind of mindset, at least back then, was, you know, animals don't belong in the house. So I just begged and pleaded, and I really wanted a cat. Um, my best friend had a cat, and they had kittens, and it was just, you know, like, shouldn't every little girl have a cat? You know, why don't you love me? So anyway, long story short, um, the pushback I kept getting was, you can't have an animal in the house because it's dirty. So I cycled through, you know, the cat, that wouldn't work, rabbit, and then dog. And then when I landed on a horse, that argument didn't really 
hold water anymore because of course you can't put a house a horse in a house because yes they are dirty and they don't belong in a house they go in a stable so all that to say uh, my older sister had a friend who actually did own a horse and the horse was maybe three or four blocks away from us kind of at the very outskirts of town we're in kind of a small town not at all horse property but um, you know in the Midwest there's sizable yards for normal houses and so one day I'm not even sure why but uh, my sister's friend rode up on this black and white Pinto mare named Mandy to our driveway and through our front yard. And then we got to take turns, my older sisters and I. And it was definitely a thrill for a very shy, bookwormy, um, you know, elementary school girl to kind of have that uh, freedom. And, you know, when you're tall on a horse and you're looking down at the world and so the teenager um, you know the friend of my sisters gave me a little quick lesson on neck reining and so I by myself got to just kind of cruise around the front and backyard and kind of turn around like you know, practice going around trees and different things like that and it was just thrilling to um, I guess have maybe the partnership even though I wouldn't have been sophisticated enough to realize that but just that this giant gorgeous animal and I were kind of doing the same thing together was really a thrill and it still is. Oh I love that that is such a wonderful story and you know I think we all all of us horse lovers wish horses could come in the house right and be <laughs> be house pets because I'd like to snuggle with my horse on the couch. I don't know. That's not really possible, but I think we'd like that. And what a smart young woman you were pitching your parents on the, on the horse because they don't go in the house, they go in the stable. So, <laughs> so you began your love affair with a Pinto, black and white Pinto pony. I love the Pintos. Um, and then, you know, now today you're still a horse lover and you have an off the track thoroughbred name night. Will you tell us about, you know, your current heart horse? I would love to. I'll probably start to cry because I've had a lot of adversity with him. I know you have. Yeah. Such a fantastic citizen. But um, so I got him five years ago and I really don't want to cry. But anyway, um, I had lost a heart horse and it's always hard to think that there'll ever be a horse that you love as much. Mm -hmm. So, you know, horse shopping, just like dating, <laughs> is really an emotional process because uh, just like online dating, which I participated in heavily before I got married, um, you know, things aren't as advertised. And so, and then there's always like, well, there's this horse perfect for me, but my budget doesn't allow for that mm -hmm. so then it's like well yeah you go for the older horse or the horse that has soundness issues what have you so long story short i found um i was just up against a dead end uh, horse shopping and uh, word of mouth a friend said hey you should check out and there was the name of a farm that she said you know i know that they get thoroughbreds off the track and you know put a little work into them and then resell them as you know horses for adult amateurs and so i literally picked up a phone and called this farm out here in southern california 
and I described to the woman on the other end, I'm um, looking for a horse around 16.3. I love a bay with a white face and, you know, I want to show for fun now and then, nothing too serious, jump maybe up to three feet, two and a half, three feet, uh, likes trails, you know, just a good fun horse that's pretty. <laughs> and she said, I think I may have just the horse for you and sent me an email with these photos. And when I saw the pictures of night, I just cried because <laughs> he looks like he could be a stunt double for my horse DC that I lost. Oh my goodness. What so a there was a moment where I was like, I can't buy that horse because that, you know, like it looks too much like my hard horse. Yeah. Um, then I kind of thought, well, that's dumb to be like basically prejudiced against him because he looks like a horse that you loved. Go try him out. So I went to try him out, and the minute I sat in the saddle, I mean, it sounds so cliche, but I just knew I have to have this horse. Like when I we pulled up and he was in the cross ties and he was already all tacked up, I just was like, he's gorgeous. <laughs> I love him. <laughs> and I saw the trainer ride him around, you know, the person that was selling him. So I was convinced, this is probably bad to say, but I was convinced he was drugged because he was so quiet. Mm. I did blood work and all that. And then I got the results. I'll never forget. And I put this on my blog where my trainer said the, the blood test came back. You know, he's clean. Congratulations. So, um, yeah, I got him. And then he's just, he's a delicate flower. He, uh, it's hard to be a horse in Southern California because of the lifestyle with, you know, there's just not a lot of pasture options, uh, really hardly anywhere. And so I've just, he's been in the hospital, colic, thankfully not surgery, but he's had ulcers on and off. And then most recently we found out um, he had kissing spine, which there was this whole thing where you're like, oh, am I going to retire a 11 year old horse? That's in perfect health. But I got educated um, and found some people to kind of champion him and different treatments and he's doing great and just the Saturday we went fox hunting it was opening day hunt and he has taken to it like this is what he was born to do oh awesome. that's so. that's so great I yeah. love that and for listeners who may not be familiar with kissing spine actually I wasn't all that familiar with it until um, you had written so openly about Knight's diagnosis on your blog can you Tell us a little bit about what kissing spine is in a horse. Yeah, so basically I'm not at all a science person, so probably people that actually are into the sciences or veterinarians will cringe when they hear this, but okay, if you can just picture a vertebra or a spine, um, it's basically his vertebrae, instead of having a nice, you know, like distance between the next one, uh, they touch, they override, and that's where the kissing comes in. Mm -hmm. And so some horses can have very mild cases and be in a lot of pain. And, uh, you know, they'll tell you because they buck or they can't pick up a certain lead at the canter or they refuse jumps. And then there's horses like my horse who have pretty significant, he's got like five that are kind of, you know, up against each other. 
and he really didn't show any symptoms except now looking back well that's probably why he kept getting ulcers he's just a good solid citizen and you know a lot of them are very stoic Mm -hmm. and don't show their pain so the amazing thing about this horse is he's never once fucked with me you know stopped at a fence um done anything that's like a typical kind of naughty kissing spine behavior so it was sort of a fluke how we found out but actually carly i'm glad you mentioned that because there's a whole facebook group dedicated with thousands of people for people with horses kissing spine and um a good friend of mine her horse was just diagnosed and she took it really hard she's still taking it really hard and i understand because it feels like a death sentence Mm -hmm. Um, but there's so much that can be done. And I actually have a very good friend also with the off track thoroughbred and her mare had like, if you saw the images, instead of, you know, the bird being kind of like this, the one was really like digging into the next one and she could never, uh, keep her, I don't remember which lead, but one of her canter leads going. Mm -hmm. And my friend had surgery or my friend, my friend's horse. And they were able to kind of shave that vertebrae a little bit and get some more space going in there. And she events her. She she picked up eventing post-surgery. And so there's just so much that can be done. Um, but what I'm finding is that depending on like where you live in the States or even in countries, um, there's, you know, some people just aren't as aware of it. And so it can seem more dire than maybe it needs to be. Uh, so Susan with kissing spine, is that genetic to thoroughbreds or, or how does a horse wind up with kissing spine? What causes it? I, I'm not sure that there is a conclusive answer to that, but from the reading I've done and some of the veterinarians I've talked to, I believe they do see it more in thoroughbreds. And I think it has something just to do with their particular confirmation, but also there's another camp of people who think it is just a lack of really good training of horses and that like horses that are trained uh, to use their backs uh, to, you know, use their core, build up their abs, that they will be less prone to having this. And then I also think there's a component of saddle fit involved. Mm. So if you think about a horse that is, you know, cruising around in the saddle, doesn't fit them well and they're maybe kind of arching their back a little bit you know just to relieve the pain that maybe over time that could do something so um again I'm not a veterinarian at all um but I've read a lot and I'm actually in the process of putting together uh resources and I'm going to put something on my blog because um people do find my blog posts that I've written about kissing spine and then send me private messages on Facebook or leave a comment or send me an email. And I do want to try to reach out to people um, and help them. Not, I'm certainly not an expert, but I'm happy to share what I've learned and the different articles I've found and um, things that, you know, were just encouraging and helpful. That's really great. I mean, I, I can totally see how a horse using its core and like lifting up through the back and self-carriage that way rather than crunching up. And I also see how saddle fit could actually have something to do with it too. I'll make sure in the show notes to link to your blog post or people that are looking for more information or help for dealing with this. So thank you for you know sharing that with us because that's so helpful to horse owners. On a lighter note, <laughs> what, I, what I loved is as we got to know each other, we both discovered that we share a love of pizza. 
Can you tell us what your favorite pizza joint is and your favorite toppings? Oh yeah, well, okay. First of all, I'm really hungry right now and I could go for some pizza, but my favorite is Chicago deep dish pizza because it's my homeland and I love Lou Malnati's pizza. I'll spell that for the viewing audience because a lot of people that may travel to Chicago would want to try it and it, unless you have seen it spelled out, it's maybe not the easiest name. So it's just Lou, it's, there actually was a Lou Malnati. So L-O-U and then Malnati, M-A-L-N-A-T-I. And they have this thick crust and it's butter crust and their tomatoes, no matter what time of year it is, taste like tomatoes that came out of your backyard. <laughs> and it's really cheesy, delicious. Like I'm hungry right now talking about it. So Lou Malnati's is definitely my favorite, but in California, it doesn't really exist. Although there are some in Arizona. There's one. Yeah, there are a couple. I'm going to have to try it. I haven't tried it before. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you got to go, but give yourself plenty of time because um, I've been to one of them there and I think all of the snowbirds from Chicago <laughs> were there. So it was like a very long wait. Okay, good to know. Good to I know. also like, okay, those kind of um, the thin crust, make your own pizza place that is kind of like the Blaze Pizza and Pyology, those. Mm -hmm. I like, I, I probably like Blaze Pizza the most for thin crust. I've been to Blaze when I visited California. Blaze Pizza is very good. I like that place. So, you know, it's really funny. You are my first evening interview and we, we've had to pause a couple of times for hiccups with light. And this is the best it's going to get, folks. Susan looks great. She brought a professional light. I should take a uh, card from her deck. But uh, you, I am now hungry. So we are both going to find a way to have pizza tonight and we can cheers each other for a successful interview as we dig into our pizza. Okay, but you didn't, okay, so the tomatoes are one of your favorite things. What yeah. else do you like on your pizza? So when I go to Little Malnati's, I get the butter crust with tomato, mushroom, and spinach. Yum. Okay. okay, but the other topping I love, but they don't serve it up at Lou's because it's not Chicago. I love pineapple on pizza. I think that we need to get together and have pizza the next time we're at an AHP conference together or find each other in our, our horsey circle. But we definitely have to make a pizza date. That sounds definitely. I'm <laughs> there. I'm already there. We like the same toppings. So I have to I just I had to throw that in because I thought that was so cool. I love I love pizza. We could talk for about pizza for hours. Um, when we were first getting to know each other it was uh, when I was heading to my first Equus Film Festival. And I love that you put that in there as one of your questions to me that I'm a pizza connoisseur and what kind of pizza do I like? I thought that was, that was cute. So I, I took a, a page from your book. <laughs> so back to pizza, um, I am passionate about it. I just found out there's a series on a network I don't have but there's a guy that goes around and he tests all the pizzas. Oh, I think it's on, it's called Vice or something. I don't have, I don't, actually, I don't have a TV right now. Um, <laughs> but I was, I can, I can't remember the name of it. It's a very simple name for the show. That's, that's my dream job. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but we'd probably end up weighing 400 pounds and kill our horses if we were eating pizza every day and test driving pizzas. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> So, you know, now I wanted to get a little into the informational side of the interview and talk about, you know, your creative endeavors. Um, but what, what is, 
so cool is like you are a middle school teacher by day and as your bio said a horse girl 24 7 and you're also the woman behind the very popular equestrian blog Settle Seats Seeks Worst. So when did you realize that you wanted to combine your love of horses with starting a blog like where did where did this begin for you? Well truth be told I didn't want to start the blog. Oh. I wanted to publish my book, my memoir, because I had the idea for it. And I went to a Writer's Digest con I almost said concert. That was <laughs> <laughs> conference in Los Angeles. And I don't think I even really knew what a blog was. Oh no, I did because I read the book Julie and Julia. <laughs> Which you know, is a good book. Yeah. And I made a movie out of it too. Yeah, no, and the movie is Fantastic. Also love Meryl Streep. But anyway, um, so I'm, you wouldn't know it, but I'm a pretty private person. And so I went to this conference and, and I'm also a learner cause I'm a teacher. So like, if you tell me to do this homework assignment or what, like I do the things people tell me to do, I follow the steps. Um, they said that basically you can't get a book published unless you're a celebrity or a truly gifted writer, the likes of which, like a Pulitzer Prize winner. And I thought, well, not a celebrity. I'm a good writer, but not amazing, you know. Um, so they said, you know, you need to kind of do your own thing, get your name out there, have a blog, have a following, and then publishers will consider you. So I reluctantly started a blog as a way to just, you know, do some writing and, um, wasn't super excited about it. But then the more I got into it, it was like, well, no one's reading it anyway. So who cares? <laughs> it can be like a creative writing outlet. Um, and then it, you know, it did catch on and then people would leave comments and it was like, wow, I'm not the only one like me. Cause at the time I didn't have night. I actually had just a couple years earlier, I lost my horse. I was in this weird in-between stage in life where I didn't have a horse outlet. And so thinking about horses, riding my horses, reading books about horses, that was my outlet. And um, yeah, so the blog was kind of a out of necessity, I guess. And then it did grow into something that I actually truly enjoy. And I feel like does suit my personality and um, my talents. You know, and that, and that, that is so, that is such an interesting story. Um, we're going to talk a little bit more about Susan's book here in a, in a few minutes. Um, I wanted to start with the blog because I kind of, well, actually I should have start with the book and then led to the blog because they, but they kind of intertwine as we go through this story. But there's also a really interesting story behind why you named your blog Settle Seeks Horse, because you mentioned this was a time when you were without a horse when you started this blog and you wanted to stay close to the, the community and the lifestyle. So can you tell us a little bit about where you came up with such a unique name for your blog? Sure. So it's, this is the sad part. This is a spoiler. So if people do want to read my book. Oh um, my, oh my, maybe we shouldn't. <laughs> I'll, I'll be, I'll try to be vague. Um, okay. So basically, who buys a brand new saddle for a 23 year old horse? Um, because, you know, as horses age, their back changes. Mm -hmm. And um, 
So basically, fast forward a little bit, I have this saddle that I bought that didn't have a purpose. For various reasons, I was no longer with the horse and um, had gone through a couple other kind of major life changes. And so this beautiful, basically brand new saddle was in my garage. And that seemed very, uh, not a good place for a saddle to be. It should be in a place of honor, not, you know, collecting dust. And so I had this dream like this, the, a saddle is, it's like a vision board. It's like a 3D goal, you know? And uh, so I was thinking about, okay, I'm going to get another horse. I'm going to get another horse. And they had just, it was financial crisis time in California. and I actually got a pay cut <laughs> instead of a raise because usually teachers get a little raise every year. And um, so that was just kind of my dream keeping me going. I would this, you know, I am a horse girl. I may be apart from it for now, but this is who I am. And I will one day have a horse that goes with the saddle. And so saddle seeks horse. Like, I don't know. The, those want ads, you know, man seeking woman or I don't, something like that. <laughs> so I love it. I think it's, I think it's perfect. And you know, the, the settle eventually did find its home and you chronicle a lot of that on, on settle six source. And what's really interesting to me is this blog that you started on advice of people in order, like for, to how to get your memoir published actually became this this huge uh, source of people coming to you and wanting to hear what you had to share. So uh, through Saddle Six Horse, you know, you, you are now considered an equestrian influencer. Um, you know, how does it make you feel to be able to impact the equestrian community with your, you know, stories on your blog, your product reviews, and, you know, your equestrian fashion recommendations, your book recommendations? Like, how does that feel, particularly because you kind of, didn't want to start the blog and now it's this big success. Like, how's that feel? Well, it's gratifying to think that, um, there's other people like me out there. And, um, I always, you know, I love word of mouth recommendation, you know, for anything, whether it's a pizza place or, um, a certain brand of shoes or, you know, extend that to the equestrian world. Like you need this saddle pad or this brush or, you know, try this training technique. So, um, just as much as I feel like I really benefit from, again, kind of being a lifelong learner. I'm always like, as horse people, we have to be lifelong learners because mm -hmm. things change. And, um, you know, that's, I think what's part of the fun. So I don't know. It's, uh, it's cool to be able to share with people as though they're my friends. And some of them I have become friends with and I've never met them in person, but it's, it's just a neat feeling to feel like you're helping someone. Um, one of my blog posts that gets a lot of traffic perennially is a post on grieving a horse because there's not a lot out there. I mean, if you Google, you can find a lot about like, what to do when your dog dies, you know? And um, so I've had people email me. I had a mom from South Africa email me to thank me for writing that blog post because her daughter's pony died unexpectedly. And she and the daughter were really having a hard time. And 
um, I'll never forget the words she said is, you know, when we read that blog post, we knew we weren't alone. Oh, wow. That must be, I mean, I'm moved right now listening to it. I can't imagine being on the receiving end, have, having had written that as a way to deal with your own grief and then someone else getting value from it. That must have felt sad and amazing at the very same time, right? Mm -hmm. Wow. And then, you know, you also work with equestrian brands and you make recommendations. I was wondering, like, how do you decide which brands you want to work with? I mean, do they come to you or do you just choose what you want to work? Like, how does that process work mm. for you? It's, it's a little bit of both. Um, I think early on it was just, okay, these are the things that I love. And so I'm going to write about it. Um, I've pitched brands and some of them say yes and some say no. Um, and then I do get inquiries and some of them just aren't a good fit. Like uh, I've gotten a lot from like the gambling world, which I understand horse races, you know, I have a thoroughbred, um, but like, I don't want to advocate that for people. Mm -hmm. you know, that's not really what my blog is about. That's not my platform. Um, so, and just other things that like aren't me. So I, if it's something that I believe in, um, like for example, I recently did a sponsored post with uh, bluegrass belts and it is an American made brand, a uh, female owned business. They hand make leather that is leather from the U S and it made in Kentucky. And so I got to connect with that business, small business owner. And, um, you know, we worked on a campaign for her and did a giveaway. And so like, I believe in that, you know, it's a beautiful product. Um, you guys should check it out. Bluegrass belts. They do also like uh, dog collars and leashes and bracelets. And it's just, it's very beautiful items. Um, and then like, there's also for other people who may have blogs and want to do this, there's, uh, uh, I guess companies you would say that, uh, work with trying to secure influencers for brands. So mm -hmm. like I get email every day, it's from a group called activate mm -hmm. and that's how I got, uh, work with Farnham. And so, you know, it was a paid social media and blog post thing. Plus they sent me boxes and boxes of fly spray, fly masks. And it was great because I mean, I use Farnham. Mm -hmm. so, um, I think it's important to, have it be something that you've used or that you like and you advocate for. So, um, yeah, there's different ways to do it. If I wish I could do more, I, you know, it's just, a, there's only so many hours in the day and I teach middle school. So it's kind of, I have to be a little choosier with what I do. That's really great information. I'll make sure to link to the, to your blog post, um, from, from the belt company. And then I'll also, um, link to activate which is sounds fantastic i mean it kind of helps take some of some of the hard work out of it by connecting the right brands with the right influencers if, if you want to call it that um, and i do want to say something here for if there's people who blog i get a lot of requests from companies that hire pr firms and so they're reaching out on behalf of a brand and it's like they want me to in exchange for maybe a $30 product, write 
a blog post and do all this for them. I have a hard time with that. Now, as a, if you're a newbie blogger starting out and you want to get your foot in the door with doing sponsored posts, that would be the way to go possibly. But I feel it's very devaluing. Um, I feel like the equestrian space is a little bit behind the times. Um, there are mommy bloggers, food bloggers, fashion bloggers, beauty bloggers, travel bloggers that get paid big bucks for their writing. So I don't think people realize like as a blogger, you are a writer and you're an editor and you're usually your own photographer and you're your social media manager. And so what might just be one picture on Instagram with the caption, it's, that takes time and you have to know hashtags. Um, a good blogger will research keywords and try to make the blog post come up in search engines, you know, SEO, search engine optimization. So I would strongly urge everyone in the equestrian community, you know, don't give away your work, you know, your work has value. Don't give it away for free just because someone's going to offer you a t-shirt. It's, it's not good. Now, if it were De Niro boot company and they want to give me a free pair of beautiful riding boots, <laughs> I might be able to swing something with them. But, um, it's just something to consider that it would be outrageous and going back to the PR firm. So what's hard for me to take is that the PR firm is making, you know, they, there's obviously budget. If that company that's trying to hire you as a blogger has the money to pay a PR firm and they're making money. So how is that even fair for them to ask you to do work for free? Mm -hmm. so. That makes a lot of sense. And thank you for saying that, you know, I think, I think some people like don't talk about this and this is really important for people to know and understand and you know let me ask you this on that topic like how did you determine i'm not going to ask you to list prices or you know what your media kit looks like or anything but I, i'm curious how did you set in motion the research in order to determine how much you a sponsored post or, or working with you would take like how, how did you figure that out that's a challenge um some of it is if you are in relationship with other blogger type influencer type and you can just have a conversation, mm -hmm. you know, um, you obviously have to know kind of your stats and, but also like your worth. And so part of it, um, as a teacher, I think about what, if I were tutoring, I've tutored students, my hourly rate for tutoring. Like I feel that, I'm entitled to that also if I were to, you know, be writing a blog post or, you know, how, so I kind of take that amount and multiply by the number of hours. Um, there's also, I, I mean, I've done a little research to just Googling, like how to determine sponsored post rates. Um, but it's, there's not really one good clear cut answer, which is probably what makes it challenging for people to know. But so, yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. I mean, if you think about, you know, if you think about it, uh, the blogosphere and, you know, what we're doing as, um, you know, equestrian creatives and the work that we put into our blogs and, and all the different projects that we have our hands in, you know, it, it is valuable. And we are kind of like the new 
media, right? You know, you have traditional media, which is like newspapers and magazines and advertisements. And if you go to any major publication, they have, you know, pricing listed out, you know, like a half page ad costs this much or an editorial piece costs this much. And, you know, it's, it's, I feel like it should be absolutely the same with an established following and, you know, a name as large as Saddle Seek's Horse, that, that it would be, you know, equivalent because the same amount of work goes in, maybe even more on, on this side. And this is new media and, and our time is valuable. And I think so, a lot of times women and the equestrians, we tend to devalue ourselves. Mm -hmm. And we have to remember that everything that we're doing has value and, and we should be rewarded for the hard work that we do do. So thank you for pointing that out. No problem. I, I get on the soapbox once in a while because the thing is too, it's like you have to stick in it together, right? Because otherwise if there's people like, I'll do that for the free helmet cover or what, you know, then it kind of diminishes the worth of the, the pool of equestrian bloggers. Yeah, no, that, that is really great advice. And, and, great words of wisdom for anyone who is currently blogging or who is looking at, at you know, starting on this path. Um, and yeah, what else is so cool about you, Susan, is like you are, you wear a lot of hats. I mean, I don't know how you have any, any energy to do anything when you're teaching small children all day long. <laughs> it's like, that must be pretty exhausting. And you're a horse owner and you have a dog and, you know, and you run this successful blog, but you also, uh, are a freelance writer. You you have written for um, Horse Illustrated, Sidelines, Horse Nation, Equitrucking. How did you get into freelance work for horse publications? Like, what made what made you choose that path? Did the blog bring it to you, or did you was that something you were interested in doing yourself? Um, no, it was actually through the blog. <laughs> um, and I first uh, through American Horse Publications, which is where I met you. Mm -hmm. um, I went the year they had it in Charleston and I met, they had like kind of a speed dating, but it was for journalists who wanted to, you know, just have a few minutes to sit down and pitch story ideas to the different magazines that were there. So I did that. Didn't hear from many. And there was one that I heard from and it was uh, sidelines. And so I was able to start, you know, showed them my blog posts and I had an idea. Actually it was for um, the Hollywood trail ride. Cause Ooh. there's a place where you can uh, rent horses and go up this mountain path with guide. And um, you would actually have a lot of fun doing that. We need to sometime, if you're ever in LA, we'll have to go do that. Um, but like you ride up to the Hollywood sign. And um, so it's just an iconic view obviously and made all that much more special on horseback. So it kind of went from there. So then I started doing more of that, and then I branched out to Horse Illustrated and some of the other um, sites as well, electronic sites. That is so cool. I mean, I, you know, it still blows my mind that at the beginning of our interview, you said that this was a blog that you reluctantly started, and all of the it opened up all these amazing doors for you. And I, you know, I think that there's a real message in that, right? Like what you know, like the universe, you know, kind of dangles like little um, opportunities at your way. And it's whether you choose to take up that opportunity or not, sometimes that leads you to all these wonderful life events, you know, so it's like the blog was this thing for you to step into and your whole world has expanded in the in the horse community because of it. Isn't that exciting? Well, and I think honestly, it is exciting. But the best part is the people. 
mm-hmm. like made good friends, solid friends. You know, it's as you get older <laughs> in life, you know, there's certain stages where it's harder to meet new friends and get to know just like a, a new circle of people. Mm-hmm. And so, um, especially like when I found out about Night and the Kissing Spine, you know, there were some people I reached out to that I became friends with from writing for the magazines um, that were just really there for me and supportive and, you know, oh, I should have you talk to this veterinarian and, you know, he writes for a column. And so it's just, it's a blessing, really. I would totally 100% agree with, agree with that. Like this community is full of such wonderful, awesome people who all love horses. And like, I, I love that we're friends now. And, you know, I used to look like not used to still like you were an inspiration for me. Right. You know, but like now we're friends and that's so neat in this. And that's what I love about the, this community is everyone is so welcoming and friendly and we offer freely assistance and tips and help. And we're there when someone's going through a tough time. And, you know, it's like, I couldn't agree with you more on that. So all of this experience, this blog that you reluctantly started that became this huge success, Settle Seeks Worse, and then the freelance writing for the magazines which followed all lead us to the book that you mentioned at the beginning of the interview. So can you, will you tell us a little bit about Horses Adored and Men Endured? And, you know, tell us about this book because obviously this came first. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So I guess I'll show you the book here. For those of you listening, not watching us on, on YouTube, she's <laughs> holding up her book. Okay, so basically, probably 15 years ago, I was at a restaurant called Hot Chocolate in Bucktown in Chicago with a girlfriend, and I was telling her about this horrific blind date that I had gone on um, a number of years earlier. And she was just laughing and laughing. And she's like, you need to write a book. And I was like, oh, it's too depressing. And she's like, no, this is such good material. And she wasn't the first person who said that. But um, so basically the guy that I went on the date with, like, I don't know if you've been on any blind dates. Hopefully not. But oh, no, they're, they're train, train wreck. I've been on a couple. Okay. You open the door. You have all these high expectations. You open the door. You see the person and you're just like, no, (laughs) you just know this is not the man for you. And if you want to be a good, kind person when you just like want to close the door again, but it's like, okay, you got to go through with it. Maybe it's a nice personality. So I was on one of those dates and the guy didn't realize this, but he didn't have a valid driver's license. (laughs) <laughs> Nor did he have car insurance because he'd been in an accident and he didn't have updated um, registration. Oh my. So he got pulled over on the day. And then I ended up having to like drive his car because the police officer was insistent that, you know, uh, I could take you to jail, but I don't want to do that in front of your lady friend. <laughs> and I'm thinking like, officer, I'm not even a friend, let alone a lady friend. So. I was, that was basically the story I was telling her. So I took a memoir class. There's a fabulous independent bookstore in Pasadena called Vroman's. And so they had a memoir class and took it. And like the opening day uh, prompt was like, write your uncomfortable truth. 
Oh my. <laughs> okay. So, but it was cool. And then what was neat is um, I shared these horse stories, you know, through the weeks of the class and none of the people there were horse people, but they loved it. And they so, oh, I, you know, I don't really know horses that well, but I could just picture myself there alongside of you riding that horse through the apple orchard. And so I just kind of, you know, it started out as almost like short stories, each chapter, you know, with memoir, it's not chronologically like I was born and then this happened. It's more vignettes of memories throughout the course of your life. So I thought it'd be really interesting to juxtapose these horrific dates that I had been on with like all the lovely horses that I'd known. The horses like that black and white pinto, you know, that I first fell in love with. So um yeah, so that's how it kind of got started. And it's so cool. It's like a, I giggled several times while I was I was thank you. I was blessed to be an early reader of your memoir. And it was just it was it was so funny and so authentic and just like this interesting this is an interesting story. I would recommend anyone to go in and check out Susan's book, um, Horses Adored and Men Adored. And I wanted to talk a little bit more about the cover. The cover is so perfect. It's, you know, it has um, just this woman and, and she's in her, you know, um, English riding attire. Here, she's holding it up again. Here, you described the, you described the cover for people listening in on the audio only version. Okay. Um, yeah. So if you're familiar with a Venn diagram, uh, again, here's the teacher in me, <laughs> kind of like those two circles that you draw and it's like the similarities and differences. And so on one side of the Venn diagram are all the horsey things in pink, bits, saddle, horse trailer. And then on the other side is the, the romantic aspect of, you know, like flowers and love letters and, you know, ice cream and a wedding cake. And then there's an equestrian uh, stuck smack dab in the middle with her hands in the air, kind of like, ah, what am I going to do? So um, the cover, actually, there's a great story behind it because... <laughs> I had a totally different cover in mind, but um, I, one of these horse people that I've become friends with, her name is Amy, and she has a fabulous equestrian greeting card company called Hunt Seat Paper Co. Um, I was kind of stalking her on Instagram because I saw her designs and I loved every one of them. And then I met her in person at Horse Expo in Pomona, and then we kind of became friends in real life. And I just, all of her designs just, I, I, I felt her. And then as we got to know each other, it was like, wait, you were a political science major and you're not doing anything with that major too? Wait, you drive a white Ford Edge? I used to drive a white Ford Edge. Uh, you like this. And I mean, it was like, we were kind of separated at birth in a way. So I'm obviously both huge fans of off-track thoroughbreds and bay horses. It has to be a bay horse. So, um, yeah, so I had an idea for something and I gave it to her and it just looked totally dorky. <laughs> and so she's like, let me just think of something. And so she just came up with that. When I saw it, I was blown away. And especially the part, I don't know if you noticed, with the name, it's on like a halter brass nameplate. So she just did a fantastic job and uh, hopefully... She's not too busy with greeting cards and fine paper goods. I can get her to work on my next uh, <laughs> published work too. 
That's, I mean, that's awesome. I, she knocked it out of the park and, and I've seen you share and I actually follow her too on Instagram and I'll link to her uh, in the show notes too. Her, her work is fabulous and, and I love it also. And just your book cover is perfect. I think any, I mean, they talk about how important a book cover is and how a lot of people will, you know, make their decisions based on just a first glance at a book cover and any equestrian that would see yours, I mean, would instantly be attracted to it. It was perfect. Thank you. Yeah. And then, so, and there's also kind of an interesting story uh, about this book as well um, between the traditional and the independent publishing worlds. Can you talk a little bit about which route you chose to go and, and sure. why? Okay. Well, I wanted to do traditional because I'm a traditional person. And so that's why, you know, when I went to the Writer's Digest conference, I started the blog and did all these dutiful things. And so I actually did have an agent. I was thrilled when I got her and she sounded fantastic. And she represented some people um, that I was like, oh, yeah, wow, I'm really, you know, going to be in good uh, stead or cahoots. I don't know. <laughs> but all that to say, so she, what I need to back up a little bit. So I am a Christian and she was kind of dealing in like Christian literature you know, there's like this whole genre of Christian books. And um, so I, all that to say, she was approaching publishers and they were, I was getting good feedback that they thought it was a charming book, entertaining, but their audience, they didn't have a large enough audience of single horse loving Christian women. Hmm. So I thought that's very short sighted because first of all, you don't have to be single necessarily because I think all women have had crazy dates at some point in their life. You don't necessarily have to be a Christian to read a book about someone who is a Christian. I'm not, you know, it's not telling you steps to faith. It's just, this is a part of who I am. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, really anyone who's an animal lover could enjoy the story. So all that to say, she dropped me after about a year of not being able to sell it. And I was devastated. And then I just thought, well, you know what? I'm just going to do it myself. And actually I have you to thank Carly because you were so encouraging. Cause I'm like, I don't know anything about self publishing. And plus well, you're, you're making more money independently publishing anyway. You right, have well, then, wild right. success. So. <laughs> okay. okay. Yeah. So that's, so then self published. So I did that and started listening to a bunch of podcasts and Again, doing my homework, like a good teacher, <laughs> a good student, lifelong learner. So that's the story of how it went from possibly being traditionally published to being self-published. Well, I think that's awesome. And, you know, I'm so glad that I was part of helping you go that route and know that it was possible. And your book is beautiful. Like, what do you wish that you had known when you started out on this, this journey to write your memoir? Like, was the blog necessary i mean this hugely successful blog that you're reluctant to start that they said you had to start in order to get your book published like you could have done the book without the blog but like are you are you glad about how the path went and where you wound up with everything and what do you wish you had known when you started out (laughs) i think things happen for a reason and um I'm they're having guest day I'm a member of a fox hunt that's one of my passions and maybe we can get into that later but they're having guest day Saturday and my two friends that I'm taking one is Amy who designed the cover 
And another is my friend Carrie, who I would have never met without having the blog. She was a horse blogger in San Diego, and she was like, I think we should meet sometime. And we met, and um, so, yeah, I, I appreciate how my journey has played out. What I wish I had known, that is a really tough question, and um, I think probably I, just a couple very practical things. I wish I'd known more about search engine optimization. Uh, when I was starting out with my blog. I wish I had known how blog writing is different from writing a memoir or a, or a magazine article even. Uh, blog writing is a whole other kind of beast. And so um, people who may be beautiful writers for book format may not be best suited to blog writing. And um, this is actually something I hope that equestrian publications can get more with the times too, is, uh, you know, they have categories where people can enter articles or blog posts and that. Um, there's a difference between writing a very personal blog post. I, I write very differently than I would doing an informational piece for Horse Illustrated. Hmm. So uh, blog readers want to read casual. You do say, I mean, my, you might, use slang or improper grammar or funny, you know, it's just such a different, which I think I actually, I'm a better blog writer than I am a writer writer, just because I feel like I write so much how I talk and that's my purpose to communicate authentically with people. Mm -hmm. so, um, yeah. So I, I think, Oh, and then starting an email list. I wish I would have done that earlier. That's a great point. Yeah. So yeah, I, well, the, the, what they say is most important about having a email list is that you own the route in which you can connect with people that are following you, love you, want to, want to be able to hear from you. Should a pl any platform go out of business, you still are able to contact the people that have agreed to hear information from you. Right. Mm -hmm. So is that, is that, is that why you wish you had started it sooner so you were able to connect with those people better? Yeah. You know, do you have any advice for how other authors might market their book? Is there anything that has really worked for you in order to reach readers? Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure everyone who has enjoyed Saddle Seek's Horse is an immediate audience for, for your book because they, they love you, they love your personality, they love the voice behind the blog. Um, but is there, is there any one thing that's worked really well for you as far as reaching readers? I think having a good cover is paramount. Um, just thinking outside the box. Uh, so I reached out to one of the uh, popular tech stores in the San Diego area, Mary's Tech and Feed. Love them. And I always spend way too much money when I go there. <laughs> and I just asked them, hey, do you want to have an author event? Um, and do it like before Christmas. We did this last year. And, you know, I'm, I'm like kind of shy and not at all salesperson. So I was convinced like that wouldn't work out. They're like, Oh, that would be fun. Yeah. We'd love to have you. And then, uh, my friend Amy with Huntsy Paper Co came and then they got another small brand came. So like, they really like to, uh, push local, you know, and small business. So that was super fun. Sold a number of books that way. Um, and then I reached out to them again. I think in advance of Valentine's day, cause my book kind of has that love theme, you know, see if they mm -hmm. wanted to get some more in stock. Cause I know tax shops don't traditionally sell a lot of books, but, um, that's worked. 
And um, I'm also, you know, kind of active with the Instagram-y influencer community in Los Angeles. And last year they decided to pull together this holiday market. So they rent, we rented a room at LA Equestrian Center and it was everything from custom boots to equestrian underwear to horse, you know, fancy horse snacks to, you know, the fine paper goods. Um, and then I was like the author there. So it was just a different kind of market, like, I guess a mini, very mini equine affair type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't know, just, uh, kind of trying to think outside the box. Um, I, and I reached out to like networking with who, you know, so I knew that there was, um, equestrian sundry has a fabulous shop. I've never met the owner it's in Ohio I think it's at um that World Equestrian Center that, where they have the big horse shows they're nice indoor mm-hmm. newer. and someone I knew through blogging knew the woman who owns that and so I just reached out to her and she bought 10 of my books for in the last house so just you know not being afraid to reach out to people but, I said, no no big deal yeah, no, that's that's really great advice, and I, I think particularly for we write about horses, right? In embedding ourselves in the community where horse lovers are, our rate our great is a great way to gain traction. You know, your local tack shop is a great um, spot to do that. You know, working the holidays that's a really smart thing to do, um, and not being afraid to reach out uh, to talk to people because equestrians are supportive of equestrians. You know, and, and uh, I think that's that's great advice. I wanted to ask you one other question too, like um, going back to writing, writing a memoir was, were you, you know, how was it, how was it releasing something into the world that was so personal for you? Like, I know, like, I I can only, I write fiction. So like everything that I write about is like made up, like you, you share some really crazy ups and downs of, of your romantic life. Um, you know, and just being, you know, dealing with like the, the pain of like being a single woman, um, looking for love, uh, you know, with a lot of horsey things going on inside of it too. Like, how did you feel like putting, you know, how did you find the confidence to put something so personal into the world? Yeah, it's, I don't really know how I did it. Um, because (laughs) I, like I said, I am a private person, but I guess if someone's going to dedicate the time and effort and money into reading something, you know, I'm viewing it as art and it's something I've created. It's true. I'm someone, I love truth and authenticity. And, um, you know, going back to that blog post with the mom, what they were grieving their horse. If, if my book can resonate, um, with another woman, particularly a single woman who has maybe, almost given up on love or just you know someone that maybe can't ride anymore because of physical disability and it can give them a happy memory of times they spent with other horses that's powerful and special and I'm, I feel very humbled to be able to communicate that with people so um it was a little terrifying just because of the fact that there were some men that behaved very badly in my past. Um, Anne Lamott, who's an amazing writer, said something to the effect about writing about your family, and it's, I'm going to butcher it. It's better if it came straight from Anne, but it was like, if people 
wanted to be portrayed better, they should have had better behaviors. Mm, that's a great point. Anne Lamont is amazing too. She wrote Bird by Bird, which I'll link to in the show notes here. She has some great advice for authors. What is the hardest thing about not only being an author, but you are a writer. You know, you you are you write for horse publications, you're a blogger, you're an author. Like what what is the hardest part about getting the word on the page for you? Uh just sitting down and doing it. The discipline, I think. I know you're very disciplined. I don't know if you still do, but like I know that you were getting up very early and dedicating a certain amount of your morning to writing. And um that is a challenge for me. So I, uh, I feel like basically I feel like everything I do in life is very piecemeal. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I would say that's one of my challenges. Yeah, I, I would agree that that was the very hardest thing about it for me, which is why I designed, you know, a morning routine where I sat down and I gave myself I you know, gave myself, you know, this is your time to write first thing in the morning, get it done, get it out before you move on with your day. And I always felt like I was, I'm much more happy and satisfied with myself when I put my creative endeavors first before I take on all the responsibilities of the day, because you can get very easily into overwhelm. And then when you're behind a computer all day long, the last thing you want to do when you come home after a long day is to get back on the computer. So I, I'm a lot like you piecemeal, but like in, until I designated a time where I said I have to not have to, like, I want to do this. Like, this is my time. This is my creative time. Until I did that, I, I, my writing didn't move as quickly as, as mm. I hoped it would. Um, and then I felt better. You know, I felt like I did something for myself in my journey as an author um, before I did the, the have tos of life. Yeah. yeah. And then on the flip side of that question, what is the best part of being an author yeah connecting with people that um I wouldn't have a chance to otherwise if I didn't have a book totally agree I mean meeting meeting people and meeting readers and is and other authors and people in the business is the very coolest part about about being a being an author I'm so curious to know what you're curious about like what's next for Susan and you know is there another book on the horizon like what what, what are you curious about right now yeah. Um, so what I'm curious about, I am just so thrilled. I mentioned earlier that, uh, my horse night, despite his kissing spine, you know, we've been fox hunting. I did a lesson a few days ago and we got him in a, the cross country water. Now I'm not an inventor, mind you, but, um, I wanted him to have that skill because he doesn't like puddles, does not want to walk in water. So what was cool about that is my trainer kind of just, narrated me through it so she was on a horse that knew how to go through the water and so doing that and um I jumped a couple cross-country jumps which I have like a mental block about jumps that don't fall down mm. um but we did okay so I'm just curious about what like the road is going to be with my uh horse night and his uh hope full fox hunting career. How did you decide to, to give that a try in a world? You said, you said that Knight loves it. I went a year ago on my birthday. I, there was a Facebook ad for our local fox hunt doing a clinic. And so I dragged my friend Amy, who designed the book cover, along with me. And we had a blast. So the best way I can describe it, and I didn't bring out the hounds that day because it was meant to be just instructional. like 
how the fields work. There's first field that goes, you know, basically a lot of galloping, jumping all the jumps, and they'll be with the hounds. And then there's second field, which is you could jump if you want to, but there would be a way to get through a gate if you don't want to do the jump. Um, and then, so that can go at a pretty quick pace too. Um, and then there's third field or hilltoppers, which is people that maybe walk, maybe trot, if the whole group is willing, a little bit of canter or whatever. So we went out, beautiful, gorgeous ranch. The ranch that we rode at that day was like, you know, pine trees, sage, uh, mountains, and it was the set for Bonanza for a while. Cool. Other movies. So it's just like you're looking at this gorgeous scenery and you're in kind of fancy riding clothes. It's like all the all the uh you know pomp and circumstance of a horse show minus the stress. Mm. And there's such a camaraderie. And like the then the first time I went out on a real hunt, I didn't have gloves. I was like, oh my gosh. And I just felt stupid. Like I'm such a newbie. I don't know how to tie a stock tie. And Someone had gloves, you know, gave them to me, said, you know, I said, I'm so sorry to be that person. And they're like, you know, this just gives them a chance to, you know, treat you extra special. So it's just a fabulous group of people. And there's all kinds of horses. Like, you know, there's half drafts. I saw mule, Arabians, thoroughbreds, warm bloods, like paint, like any kind of horse can do it. And the terrain, um, you know, the, I don't know, you would get in this mode if you're like me and I, you know, I grew up actually riding out like in fields basically with no supervision. And that's how you learn how to ride is you just go bareback and canter around. And, um, I didn't have formal lessons early in my riding career. You know, obviously I take lessons now and I've become more educated, but uh, so I felt like the day I was on the first real fox hunt last year, I felt like I had just come full circle and it was so freeing and it was like, oh my gosh, we're going through sage and there's like these bushes and the horse just goes right through it. It's no big deal. We jumped a ditch. I jumped a log and um, it was like, this is crazy because for years you're like, oh, if the arena's not groomed just properly, you know, oh, I probably shouldn't ride too fast because, you know, they might trip. But um, it really gave me a renewed appreciation for how athletic horses are. And the other thing too is how they work in a group. I've never been able to, in a riding sense, experience a little bit of what herd must be like, except for fox hunting because what's was fascinating to me is this the horse I rode last year when we were still working through nights kissing spine trying to figure out how to treat that um she you know you're going so fast and I'm thinking how am I going to stop her if the horse ahead of me stops I'm going to just like slam into <laughs> the rear end but it's like no they have like they're so in tune with each other the horse ahead slows down your horse slows down. So it's just, it's fascinating to me. And then there is a lot of etiquette involved. And um, so it's just very cool. And um, I hope I can do it for as long as I can ride. That is so cool. It, it sounds like um, there's a lot of opportunity for you to learn to, to trust your mount while you're, while you're fox hunting. And although there's a lot of etiquette required, um, it's inclusive. Like, what's not to love? A beautiful setting, you're riding with people that are generally very lovely, and then you follow that up with 
awesome food sold hey sounds perfect to me there's western uh, there were two gentlemen riding western i mean i don't know that all hunts do that but the hunt in southern california has western riders I am so coming to visit you in California because we're going to do the Hollywood sign ride. Then we're going to go do some fox hunting. And I may not, you know, advertise this very often, but I can get into an English saddle. I did grow up riding. I started out riding English and I, and I did all that while I was a youth. So, and I still have my English saddle. I put it on Sissy a couple of times, but she's just just so slow. It's like posting trot to like a, a Western jog doesn't, doesn't actually work, but, but I, you know, but I, I still have those roots. So that would be a whole lot of fun. You do a lot of book recommendations on your blog. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about what you look for when you do book reviews and book recommendations. And then I'm also really interested in what you're reading right now. In love with memoir. I like true stories about people. And I mean, there are some horsey memoirs out there, but I also like kind of how to and training. So, um, yeah, I've put together, uh, like roundup posts, like nine books for holiday gifting, or sometimes I'll do a really in-depth book review. So, um, they take a lot of time. So that, I mean, I've had people hit me up to review their books and I generally only do it for titles that I self-select. Um, so like an example of one that I did and really loved was uh, Last Chance Mustang. Mm. And it's about this man actually in the Chicago area, which was fun for me because I knew the places he was talking about. He's an attorney, but he also helps people with really difficult horses. And so woven through this tale, this man trying all the things with this challenging horse, um, he gave a very thorough overview of kind of the history of Mustangs and some of the political aspect and status of where they're at now along with scientific so it was like reading a story about a man and a horse but then interwoven was all this stuff where i felt like i was so much smarter about the plight of the mustang so that was a cool book um i loved the perfect horse by elizabeth letts um history nerd that i am you know it's about uh, the brave soldiers during world war ii that were trying to make sure that uh, the Nazis didn't exterminate uh, Lipizzaners or, you know, they were trying to do some interesting genetic things with horses. So, um, yeah, I had that. Uh, I probably have maybe a dozen or so different book recommendations on my blog. And I actually put together a little something for your podcast listeners. Um, I have a bit.ly link. If they visit it, um, it will invite them to share their email in exchange for a list of my top 10 book recommendations for right now. So should I give the link? Absolutely. And I'll also link to it in the show notes, but I appreciate you putting that together because this is the place for people who love horse books. So what, what, what better thing to do than this? So yeah. So it's just a bitly B I T dot L Y. And then is that a forward slash? Or backslash, I don't know. The slash thing. That thing. <laughs> forward, forward slash. Forward slash. Yeah. <laughs> bit.ly forward slash horsebooks. That'll take you to a landing page on Saddle Seeks Horse. And then I'll be able to send out that email to you with the list of the horse books I recommend. But what I'm reading right now, I think you asked me that. I did. Okay. Um, so right now I'm reading this book, uh, Wild Horses of the Summer Sun 
Mm. And I'm not that deep into it yet, but the woman um, goes every summer and rides with a bunch of women in Iceland. And so she's talking about just like kind of the history of the breed, what makes Iceland a unique destination. And um, she's a beautiful writing style. So I'm really into it. I mean, like, I just found it because I went to independent bookstore in my town and I saw it. It was like horse books. I wasn't expecting to see horse books. And I'm like, I have to have that. I mean, you just described me in a bookstore to a T. Like I'll just be, you know, I'll be going in to, to pick up something and then, ooh, a book with a horse on the cover. Ooh, I go that way. So when you're creating your covers, aspiring authors or future authors or authors currently writing, remember that anything with a horse on it attracts the horse lovers. So make sure there's a horse on your cover. So people uh, will be intrigued to pick up your book, just like Susan did with Wild Horses of the Summer. So, uh, and also thank you for putting together a list of your recommendations. If you're, you know, into nonfiction horse books and memoir horse books, Susan is your go-to resource. She, uh, she has a lot of those recommendations and uh, you can actually go in, into Saddlesticks Horse and go into her past blog posts and see uh, her other book recommendations. So Susan, I, you know, I loved having you on the show today and, you know, it was so good to reconnect with you. We haven't seen each other in a little while. And, um, you know, I think we just planned to eat pizza tonight, but then also for me to get out to California so we can do some riding together. And I would love to take you up on, on the, the Hollywood sign ride and fox hunting. I have never fox hunted. So I think that, that would be just a terrific blast. Um, but until then, because we'll do an interview in person, right? When I get out there. Of course. Yeah. Can you tell people where people can find you and your books? Okay. I would love to. So if you're interested in buying my book, Horses Adored and Men Endured, it's super easy. Just go to Amazon and you can type in Horses Adored and Men Endured or just look for my name, Susan Friedland. Um, and then as far as following me, if you're really into Instagram, I'm fairly active on that, uh, more frequently than I am on my blog, although I have over 300 blog posts on my blog. So, um, on Instagram, it's saddle seeks horse. And then my blog saddleseekshorse.com. If they want to grab that list of the top 10 books I'm recommending right now, it's bit.ly L Y forward slash horse books. Awesome. And I'll make sure all of those places to find Susan and the link to her horse book recommendations are in the show notes. So Susan, you know, thank you for the gift of your time. I know that um, we had to do a little schedule adjusting. So this could, you know, we could get you in around your school schedule and everything else that you have going on in your life. So, so thank you for making the time to be on the show. And I just really enjoyed talking with you. And, and there's such a wealth of information shared here. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you. It was super fun to talk to you and I'm honored to be a guest. Thanks for joining us this week on the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I hope you enjoy these Q&A sessions with wonderful equine authors who love all things horses and writing, just like me. Visit my website, carlycadecreative.com, where you can read the show notes, and make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you so much for your support. Want a free guide to secrets of horse book authors? Gallop over to carlycadecreative.com forward slash wisdom to have author advice delivered instantly to your inbox. If you are an author who writes about horses and would like to be spotlighted, please let me know. 
Visit my contact page at carlykadecreative.com to fill out a request. I'd be happy to have you on the show too. Thank you for tuning in to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. See you next time. I'm your host, Carly Cade. Creative writing makes my spurs jingle.